scale and an increased scale really brings out the best part of the hobby in my opinion and it's what I always want to aim for what I always like to uh, enjoy and this was in in that sense the best event so far Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here again with Ludwig. How are you doing today, Ludwig? Not so bad, Chris, thanks. Uh, how's the weather over there? It has been very mixed. It seems to one minute be uh, pouring down and trying to turn everything into the sum, and then the next minute it's so hot that it feels like you're on the surface of the sun. So it won't really make its mind up. Uh, we've had a crazy amount of rain here where I live this summer. It's really kind of uncharacteristic for the summertime. It seems like it rains every single day. Uh, so it's good for my garden, but um, not so good for people who want to spend a long weekend at the beach, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Greater German vegetables, 100%. That's what you need. Uh, beach day out, definitely not. So today on this episode, we're going to talk about a reenactment event that you did recently. Um, you and I haven't really talked about this, and it's not an event that I really know anything about. So I'm excited to find out, find out about it. Um, why don't you just tell us uh, what the event was and, and give us some background on it? Yeah, sure. I, it was, um, as most of the people listening, I think, will be familiar with your typical sort of public show with a great deal of uh, variety of displays of most of the sort of modern era of war from the Second World War onwards until today. Uh, military vehicle displays, different sort of uh, rear line displays as well as on the edge of the front line sort of displays uh, and your usual array of stalls and military vehicles that are just on their own and not really connected to any kind of display but they just sat there as a display uh, and there was a great variety it's one of the biggest shows I've been to for a while because it does feel in the UK at least that that, that reenacting and I'd certainly say in the north of the, U the UK that, that reenacting feels like it's kind of shrinking at the moment but it was one of the biggest shows that I've been to for a while um, and in terms of the show itself, nothing out of the ordinary. It was a very well organized, really enjoyable show. It was just the quality of the people there in terms of the group that I was with and also the scale, which is something that I really want to talk about because it, it brings me back to this thing, which people will probably be sick of me talking about in most of the episodes that I've been on in terms of the way that scale and an increased scale really brings out the best part of the hobby, in my opinion. And it's what I always want to aim for, what I always like to uh, enjoy. And this was in in that sense the best event so far uh for me i'd say at least to the the last year if if not of some time in the sense that the scale was at its its peak that there were um you know 35 people portraying the same unit portraying the same company uh the, you know the same um three sort of grouper that really made it for me and really set it aside and it's the kind of thing that i want to to see replicated and, and, and built upon that sounds really great. Um, what was the event called and, and where was it held? So the event was the Capel Military Show uh, in Capel, which is not far from Dorking in Surrey, which is quite a drive for me. It was an interesting experience driving down. Uh, second long drive in the new car, which was comfortable, enjoyable, 
but still quite a trek. And um, the drive in total, I think, for me, including picking people up and dropping people off, uh, was about seven hours or so. And I'm assuming most of our American listeners are kind of thinking, you know, what, how, how, how dare he complain about a seven-hour drive? That's ridiculous. Uh, that's, that's nothing. But for me, that's on the much longer end of the scale of, of drives that we would typically do here. So it's quite a, quite a trek to get down there from uh, the northeast of England, which is where I'm based, but certainly worth it. I think that uh, seven hours is a long drive. For me, anything over six hours feels like a long drive. That's like a basically a travel day. It is a travel day. And although going down, I had some measure of planning and, and had time to work with. I, w- I went down to the event early to help set up and just get into the swing of things uh, and traveled down late at night and just drove through the night until I got there in the morning and then immediately uh, went to sleep. But coming back, I didn't have that good fortune. So I left the site probably about five, six o'clock. Uh, and with all of the traveling and stopping and dropping people off, I didn't get home until the next morning at about 3 a.m. And then I had work three and a half hours later. So that was not the best re- experience that I've had for a while, but it, I wouldn't change it for anything. That sounds like absolute hell to me. The uh, Your drive down sounds really nice. I love doing that. I was just thinking about that last night as I was driving home from somewhere else, how I really enjoy the highway at night. And I've done that many times where I've left to go to an event uh, in the evening, gotten there basically the next morning and then immediately gotten a few hours of sleep. And then you wake up, you're at the event and you're ready to go. And that's to me, that's a lot of fun. See, I love that. And I love it so much because you don't have any of the hangups of, say, if you go to an event and you set off on a Friday night and, and you know, you get there on a Friday night you've missed out on on something in some way but if you can get there early in any way early it's always worth it and i think that for me exactly the same highways at night there's very little other traffic so you can just cruise down at a decent speed and not have that constant stop starting because we thought about it we set off from um, the northeast of england about 11 o'clock at night i think and that was after two hours travel already for me um and still being in sort of the north northeast and we still had this big journey ahead of us but i thought if we set off the following morning and we could have done that we're still just going to spend the whole day in traffic and stopping and starting but if we set off now we'll get there early in the morning but we'll still you know we'll have that easy drive down we might be a bit tired when we get there but we won't have to worry about sitting in traffic which for me is the worst possible thing imaginable i I can handle the long drive it's the sitting in traffic and the stop starting that i don't like so that that was perfect for me traveling at night has like a different feel than traveling during the day where during the day when you can see things from the highway and all the shops and restaurants are open everywhere i feel like there's maybe more distractions or temptations to get off the highway and stop at a certain restaurant or something whereas when i'm driving in the middle of the night and the only things that are open are like 24-hour gas stations and maybe like a fast food place at a highway rest stop it's just like me in the road and it's just going and getting there and uh yeah you miss out on all that traffic and it winds up taking a lot less time i find it does it does and there is something i find about driving at night music on all you can see are the lights of the motorway perfect how many guys did you um, travel down with so traveling down i had to come off the road uh i had to come off my route to go and pick up uh because the the scenario that we're doing 
called for um, two heavy machine gun grouper and a single mortar troop as well. So I'm currently having um, a Lafette restored at the moment, uh, Lafetta restored at the moment, and it's still taking its time. It's this Yugoslavian paint and it's now being put back together and it's just, it's been such a job to get it sorted, but it's still not quite ready. So I fortunately had a friend uh, based in Hull who was really kindly willing to let me borrow his in order to take it down to the event just for the weekend uh, and then bring it back up. So I had to divert on the road down to pick up uh, the Lafette in uh, in Hull. And I also picked up one of the lads in our group there. And then we set off the rest of the way down. On the way back, I had to uh, take one of the other lads as well. So there were now two other passengers, uh, or one other passenger, there were the three of us in the car. And I had to drop him off about sort of Derby way. So that led to a bit of shifting around because I hadn't quite planned properly. Bearing in mind the car was filled to the absolute brim with kit for the display, for the tross, for everything else. And uh, that resulted in having to leave some stuff with other people, which I never liked doing at even the best of times, but they're people I can trust, so I, I don't mind too much. Um, and I'll be able to get the bits off of them at, at a different event in order to make room for him. And then everything other than that was fine. It was just on that drive back, the additional time of a little bit of traffic and then dropping people off really lengthened the journey to become by the end of it i was just wishing for it to be over and, and going maybe a little bit um i was going maybe one or two miles over the the uh the, the set speed shall we say <laughs> yeah the the way back always seems like it takes longer than the way there i find and it's the melancholy as well you leave an event the dopamine wears off very quickly and you get that feeling of i'm going back to reality going back to ordinary life and sometimes that's nice if you've had a a difficult time if you're looking forward to going back to your own bed and some of your creature comforts but you've lost all of the comradeship it's back to ordinary life the the sort of mindset that you develop when you're with your reenacting group comes away and it's back to the ordinary grind and that i think the drive back is the worst part of that uh, by far for me and that's when all the melancholy hits yeah i can imagine um how long were you at the event for so i arrived on the wednesday morning and i was there until the sunday night and the event proper didn't start until I think the Friday afternoon or the or the Saturday morning. That was in the public hours of the event, accessible to the public. Uh, but I was there from the Wednesday morning. That sounds fantastic. Um, what was your plan for what you guys were going to do before the event actually started and became open to the public? So we were trying the the, the whole scenario as it were for the display for the event uh was portraying men of the uh, 125th panzer grenadier regiment uh the fifth company one of the um schwerer mg so and we were building out positions to represent that and so essentially the first thing that we did when we got there apart from setting our zelt up was to start digging trenches and digging out positions uh, and finding random bits of wood to fill out those positions setting up the display sighting uh, the lafetta getting everything ready for that uh, and it became quite a difficult job because as you mentioned with the water the rain over there it's been similar over here and the whole drive down it rained it rained from uh, the northeast of England right the way down to Surrey and it only stopped raining briefly when we arrived then it started raining again then it stopped in the the, the actual sort of 11 o'clock in the morning um, and so the, the the ground was sodden and it was this clay and it had become really sticky 
and so you would you'd be digging away and digging away and the shovel just becomes this sort of um, mud stick it's completely covered in clay and mud and and you have to keep on scraping it off and it just made it such a nightmare whereas usually I'm told and in some other areas of the site the soil was quite soft and easy to dig so it seemed to take forever to make any progress but we gradually dug out this position it was shallow compared to what I would have liked but it was difficult to, to dig in and this it seemed like there was some random water source just and it was it wasn't the water table either but this just random water source that just kept bringing water wherever we tried to do anything so we spent those days essentially just digging preparing kit positioning kit and it was really enjoyable just to have that extra time to do that before anything else and not have to spend a whole day doing nothing but digging just to make up the time that wasn't spent um, there in advance that sounds super fun. Did you guys use uh, like period equipment for the digging or did you have some modern stuff too? No, we used only, um, I, well, on our area of the trench, we had only our um, Ashbarton. We had only the, the Klapspaten and the Ashbarton. Um, we did have one Pioneer shovel as well, which we did at various times share between the different positions that we're digging. Um, but it didn't make a huge amount of difference. I actually found it easier with um the regular shovel to be honest uh, as you'd say the straight the straight shovel um it, it just i i suppose the, the small size of it it just felt like it made it easier to carve bits out and then lift them up um the pioneer shovel didn't seem to make a, a huge amount of difference and that became clogged up with clay faster than anything else i find that's interesting did you guys have to fill in all the earthworks at the end of the event Nope, they will still be there, I think, uh, if we use the site. Again, I imagine they'll probably be overgrown by that point, but they'll still be there. That sounds fantastic. What kind of property is this that um, you guys are having the event on where you're able to have these earthworks there like in a semi-permanent basis? Well, it's I don't know much about the site in any particular detail. I know that the group that we attended with, uh, that, that sort of organized it from our perspective, Die Soldaten, they have a really good relationship with the site owner and they're allowed to use the site for their private events. For uh, They support the show a lot and, and, and that shows. Um, they actually won the Living History Display Award for the show, which was fantastic and it was really great to see. Obviously, they have this great relationship with the site and, and they had so many people on this display at once. I think it was in many ways deserving to receive that award from the event organizers um, but they have this excellent relationship and i think they cultivate that and they, they work to strengthen that relationship and as a result there is some sort of leeway i think in terms of having positions which they can dig out and then not have to fill in um, there could be more details to it i don't know much about it um, over the years I've, I've always found it difficult definitely in the uk i don't know about other places but definitely difficult in the uk to find um, landowners that are willing to let a group of random guys dressed in uh, Second World War uniforms come onto the land, dig it all up, and then you know leave it with probably brass rounds and, and probably beer bottles uh, left there as well. So to have that kind of relationship and to keep that kind of relationship is, is something to be applauded. I totally agree. It's uh, very rare. There are some places where I've done events before where you're invited to dig holes but mandated to fill them in afterward and that really sucks because with every shovelful that you're digging out you know that that's going to be an equal amount of work to get that dirt back into the hole and so uh, it's it's really kind of not not fun to do that i love to dig and and make field positions but at this point i'll only do it if if i don't have to fill it in afterward 
yeah we, we stopped for the same reason any any sites any shows where they say they mandate something like that uh we won't do it similarly if they say you know the holes can only be a certain um depth or a certain width because of whatever reasons we you know try not to do it either because it 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 ends up being a lot more work or it ends up not looking accurate like there's there's one big show where uh they'll only really allow you to dig i think it's only about um a meter or something like that uh because there is some kind of irrigation structure underneath the soil supposedly anyway there's some kind of irrigation structure um and that's fair enough if that's the real reasoning but then because it just looks a bit silly we prefer because it's so shallow you're practically you know you, you can sit on the edge of it and your knees are right up so what's you know what's the point really it doesn't look real in any sense at all um so we leave it and we just have a kind of realign field display rather than digging in to to positions how deep did you guys get at the uh, event that you just did some of the positions i think were the the correct sort of depth where if a sort of six foot guy was was stood in them um the edge of the 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 soil and clay that had been heaped up was about where their eyes would be thereabouts so not quite the regulation depth but about as to be expected then there were proper sort of slip trenches as well they were really well dug our mg position was nowhere near as as close as that and nowhere near as close as to the regulation depth but crouching down in it you could get crouched down in such a way that you couldn't be seen from um you know as if you were looking at the trench directly on so i i couldn't really estimate you know probably probably not i don't know probably not even a, a meter again but um with the actual the state of the ground it wasn't it wasn't too easy going that sounds great is this a, like a long-standing event or is it something that has only been happening in recent years i think it's been going for a long time it's the first time i've attended because with it being so far down south um it's not an event that i have any kind of history with i used to attend uh, the war and peace show which was in a um, not the same area, but in the south as well. And that was the big southern show that I used to attend occasionally every couple of years. Uh, and it, it gives me similar sort of vibes to that show. Um, there are a couple of other shows this year that will attend down south. Another the one is, is Military, Military Odyssey, um, which will be a similar journey and I think a similar situation. Um, and I'm looking forward to that one as well. That sounds cool. So what's the plan for this event for when the public arrive? You guys are answering questions. Is there like a public battle part or how did it all work? Um, there were public battles. We didn't participate. I think generally speaking, we try to avoid as much as possible the public battle for all of the reasons that we've discussed in, in, in previous episodes. Um, it, more for us, it was the living history side of things. It was that we are in position where in many respects acting that out um, we took out some time to sort of get some photos to illustrate things like uh, resupplying ammunition from um, from you know ammunition the wooden ammunition boxes with the cardboard um, inserts in those as well so how that would have looked how those might have been delivered we had captured jeep to uh, recreate some of the pictures of the um, panzer grenadier regiment 125 uh, there are those famous pictures where they've got the tanamorda smocks the splinter helmet covers and the captured jeep uh, and we had those recreated as well um, 
so it was a mix of recreating pictures, living in the actual positions, uh, a little bit of sort of drilling, a little bit of um, Speertrupp going out under Herr Leutnant's direction. So we spent some time having little reconnaissance parties, which was a mix of collecting some information about what was happening on the site, just to give an actual task to it, and also allowing different grouper to send men out to go and look at the other displays to go and look at the, t the stalls but in an organized way because I've, I've found and I really I found this to be an excellent way of doing it because at other public events it sometimes happens that everybody's like right I'm going to go look at the stalls and everybody else goes oh well I want to look at the stalls as well so everybody on the camp goes and looks at the stalls and you get maybe one poor guy who has to sit there on his own so it was sort of um, staggered to allow different groups of people to go and look at the stores and look at the other displays and then come back and at the same time deliver a report. So it didn't feel like much of the usual public event where everybody's just kind of lolling around doing nothing. Um, we had a little bit of, I, I think, I wasn't involved with it, but the Gewehrwerfer Troop, Gewehrwerfer Troop, the Granatenwerfer Troop, they were performing some sort of tasks and again taking pictures of what they were doing in terms of the positioning sighting of the um granatwerfer and it, it was just it was it was just really good all of it was was really good that sounds great did you um you know what what's the reality do you guys really try to interact with the public answer questions is there somebody out there saying, hey, if you have any questions, you can talk to me? You know, what do you guys think about this? Or are you just kind of trying to sort of be a museum exhibit and people can kind of look at it and, and ask a question if they really want? How do you approach that aspect of it? I, I approach it in the latter sense. And I, th I think that's the better way. I don't want anybody to get the idea of, you know, you're at a public show, you're just ignoring the public. If somebody asks a question or if somebody wants to look at a piece of equipment or a deactivated gun, there's, you know, I would never just ignore them. I always kind of run through it with them and, and, and give them a little bit of a talk. But I find the, as you say, the sort of living museum perspective is more in line with what I think works best. And um, there are those people that talk to the public will go up to and engage with them. And I think that balances it out nicely between, I think in public displays, if you choose to do them, if you are doing a public event, there is that mix between those displays where it looks like a car boot sale and everything's laid out and people like to talk through each bit of kit or each bit of you know historical item as they go. And that's not a bad thing. People have their way of doing things. It's a public show at the end of the day. But I, I, I've always appreciated more the, the living museum, as you say, uh, displays. I think they look better. I think they're, they're more immersive. I think some, you know, a member of the public can just step back and look at those and appreciate them. And I've seen some fantastic displays like that over the years. I think ours at this event really represented that in many respects. And members of the public could walk right through, they could take pictures, and they could talk to people and people would talk to them um, if they did ask questions. That sounds cool. I like to go to public display events that are for time periods other than World War II and kind of be anonymous and the people doing the displays don't know me. They don't know that I'm a reenactor and I just can look at how each group does their display and, and evaluate it. And, uh, you know, sometimes I find myself a little bit intimidated when I walk up to a display and there's someone right there who immediately launches into a, a monologue about what they're doing and then is, you know, making eye contact with me and asking me questions um, or, or asking me if I have any questions. You know, sometimes I don't really have any questions. Sometimes I just kind of want to look at something and... Um, 
you know, maybe if I have a specific question, I can, I can find someone there to talk to and ask them. Of course, there's also the opposite of this where I have seen where you go up to a display and everybody is hung over and actively facing their backs towards the public so that they don't have to interact with anybody. That's like not a uh, thing that I really like to see either for the most part. Yeah, that is definitely relatable uh, experience uh, on both accounts, to be honest. I've had it where I've been in kit and have, have similarly been accosted by somebody that wants to, to tell me everything they're doing, which I, I, I don't mind too much, but I can I can see why it would be um, too much, especially if it's not something that you're particularly interested in and you're just kind of having a, a wander about to have a look. And I think, again, like I say, sometimes you can look at a display, look at uh, a display that's really more about the living history side and less about the, here's all of my historical items, let's talk about them side. You can look at that and you can be engrossed enough without somebody necessarily giving a description or a narration of what it is that they're doing and displaying. How was the public at this particular event? Did you guys have some good interactions with people that came to see? I, I've not had a really interesting discussion with a member of the public for a long time. I, I can remember when I was younger doing a lot of public shows, talking to members of the public, sometimes having really in-depth discussions about you know, um, German tank production statistics with a random member of the public or things like that. But it's been a long time since I ever had any conversations like that. Typically, it was mostly the younger generation coming over and, and, and what is this gun? Can I, what, you know, can I, can I hold the gun? That sort of thing, which I quite like because, you know, when I was that age, that's what I was interested in. So I, I always take out some time to make sure, you know, this is the MG42. This is what it does. This is the history of it. This is how it's used and try and give them a more realistic um, understanding of what what the guns are, rather than the sort of Call of Duty, Fortnite, whatever it is, appreciation that they probably already have. Um, I think I'm fighting a losing battle on that point, but I'll, I'll keep fighting it in any case. But I haven't had a really interesting discussion with a member of the public for a long, long time. Yeah, I can relate to that. I haven't done much in the way of public displays lately, but I do think that in those that I have done my personal interaction with the public probably isn't what it used to be and I think there are a lot of reasons for that um, I think on some level the pandemic made people a lot more conscious just even about uh, talking to and interacting with with lots of people in a crowd um, as that's one thing I guess I could point to and of course there are other factors as well um, for me I like maybe feel a little more self-conscious than I used to and um you know maybe the particular events that i am doing now maybe they just don't draw as many spectators in total as some of the events that i used to do but uh no it, there has been a shift there for me as well certainly no this event was really well attended it, it, there were thousands and thousands of members of the public in attendance and there were some fantastic displays for them to look at not just obviously the, the display i was part of but also you had um I can't remember the name of the group for the life of me, and, and they'll have to forgive me if, if any of them were to, to listen to it, but they were an American group. Um, I think it might have been Second Armored, and they had Sherman tanks and as many uh, Studebaker trucks as you could, you know, as, as the eye could see, and they had a, a flak installation with, with two flak pieces. Uh, they had a, a catering wagon, you know, an actual real catering wagon, not just a random catering, but a, a, an American catering wagon from the Second World War. And they were running that through the event. And it was just fantastic. It was one of the, you know, it was just a brilliant display. 
Um, there's a massive Soviet display, which I was really impressed with uh, in terms of just the scale of it. I don't know much about Soviet kit uh, in any great detail. I couldn't say how uh, authentic it was. It looked authentic to me. It looked immersive. It was a camp that seemed to stretch from one end of the forest almost to the other end. And they were building huts and entrenchments and they had, you know, all of these um, border posts and all sorts of stuff. It was just brilliant. It was really, really nice to see. It's been a while since I've been to a show and seeing displays like that. And and a lot of the time at shows these days, it really does feel like it's just a sea of Zeltbahn or uh, pop tents and maybe one or two vehicles. But th th some of the displays were really, really fantastic. You think people came from all over uh, England or all over Europe to do this thing? I, I think so, yeah. I think um, we had, in our group, we had some lads who'd come over from Ireland, which was fantastic. Um, they were a great bunch of lads. They, again, just totally this 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 huge group of people. It all really felt like everybody gelled together really well, um, which I find is difficult in reenacting groups. You know, you put one reenactor in a room and he'll form two separate groups. It's just the way of things. But this was a huge number of people, and it really worked together well. And they'd come from all over the place to form um, to portray this single unit. And I I didn't get the opportunity to speak to too many other people from from other groups but i know um some of the people there had come from as far away as i had some of the people had come from um just down the road and i imagine that the event was attended by other people from across europe maybe further afield as well but i, I couldn't tell you for certain that sounds really cool uh, you mentioned at the beginning the scale of the event uh and the scale of the crew that you guys put together to do the event um how did you guys get this thing going? How did you sort of create the coalition to get a bunch of people to do the event with? I mean, what was the uh, kind of mechanics of how the numbers came together for this one for you? So it was really several different groups joining together to put aside their own particular impressions uh, and their own particular areas of focus to just portray one thing together. And like I, I keep on saying, I think that's the best possible way. If people can temporarily put aside their particular interests to do something, what a lot of people could call generic, although I don't think um, Panzer Grenadier Regiment uh, 125 can be called generic. It, it certainly has its own in, you know, interesting flavor, as it were. Um, but putting aside that to, to come together and portray just one thing. And it, it worked really well because I think everybody from these different groups, they had have similar mindsets they have a similar level of uh, enthusiasm for the hobby for authenticity and rather than having several different groups of people kind of being chucked together for the purpose of just having more numbers it really felt like there wasn't any friction at all it really felt like everybody was wearing the same kind of quality of kit approaching the kit in the same sort of way and when you put all of those buds together in a single formation although it some people were wearing slightly different kit because they were portraying, you know, maybe somebody that hadn't from from the regiment that had been issued the smock and the helmet cover, or had been issued the helmet cover but not the smock, and so on and so forth. It really looked, you know, exactly like you'd expect from the pictures, and it just it worked for me. It worked so perfectly, and and I think it's rare to get so many people together that have that similar mindset, have that similar enthusiasm, have that similar um, approach to authenticity, and the more of that I think there is the better the hobby gets, the greater the focus on authenticity, whilst keeping the numbers high, is for me is the answer to all of the hobby sort of problems, all of its woes. If, if it keeps heading in that vein, I think it can only get better. 
I've been talking about this with some other reenactor friends of mine, the same sort of idea um, of putting together a coalition, maybe of people who have different impressions, different uh, unit identities, different, maybe they're part of a different clique in the hobby even, but just to say, okay, here's an event coming up, there is an opportunity to do this particular portrayal, um, who is interested in maybe being a part of a coalition to do this in some numbers, and I certainly do think that as things change, as our world changes, as we also have uh, increased ability to communicate with each other and to organize on that basis, that this is a something that is going to be more prevalent in the hobby, regardless of how anybody feels about it or if anybody thinks that it's a good idea or not. Like, it's just I think the way that things are going to become, and I and I do think that it can be uh, really successful when it works. It can work really well. Of course, there is also this um, issue of personal egos. Um, this person wants to be in charge. This person wants to be in charge. This person doesn't want to be subordinate to this other person. So trying to massage those interpersonal issues can be, I think, tricky for whoever the people are who are trying to be the organizers of something like that. Yeah, uh, that that is really the crux of the issue, I think. I think if people can be mature enough to put all of that aside, um, I'll be absolutely honest, you know, I... I there are people in the past where I've been told, oh, you need to listen to them. And this isn't anything to do with this group or anything to do with um, probably anybody that'll be listening. I'm talking about things that have happened in years gone by, you know, uh, in, in sort of more public facing associations being told, you need to listen to what this person has said. And I don't have a good um, relationship with that person. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to listen to them. I don't think, I don't think I should listen to them. And, and that's led to all sorts of stuff. So you see this all the time. If people can put that aside where it's worth it, where it, you know, you can say for the sake of having that experience to put aside their personal squabbles, their personal dislikes, their personal tastes, whatever it might be, um, I would certainly do that. I have no qualms doing that. Um, I think it's worth it for the sake of, of the hobby. And it definitely is going to swing in that direction. I can see it happening already. Uh, in this country, the massive public events, they do well. But especially in the north of England, the small public events, the turnout, this year certainly, and we saw this a little bit last year, but this year certainly has been dire. Some units just appear to have completely disappeared uh, and are not interested anymore. And other units, there are maybe one or two, at least around where I live and around the area that I usually knock about in for reenacting. There are one or two units that do reasonably well, but that can't go on forever because the, the hobby needs to have um, some form of growth it needs to have some form of things which excite people it needs to have some level of organization which builds up its own numbers and maybe that's self-defeating in the sense that it's always going to kind of build up to drop down again but what would be the point in doing the hobby if not to try to, to try and build up those numbers but i can see it happening already because how how people could be interested in the public facing element of things forever and not gravitate towards the uh and not gravitate towards the more um authenticity and, and as, as some would say immersion oriented side of things I don't know I, I couldn't see them um, not gravitating in that direction unless they just left the hobby you know I'm, I realize I'm asking you to speculate here but what do you think are the causes for or what might be the causes for a decline in numbers this year and last year um, I, I think it's a combination of factors and I think 
at first I really thought COVID was just going to give people a breathing space and make them think, uh, I'll take this time out of the hobby uh, and spend some time building up my impression or just relax a bit, not spend every weekend driving all over the place. Um, what it really has done is, I think, put some people off who I could count on attending every event or at least one event a month, uh, and they just disappeared completely. They've lost interest. I think maybe they found in the course of COVID that something that they seemed to enjoy, once it was taken away, they actually didn't really miss it that much. And I, I thought a lot about this because I didn't think it was something that serious until I'm seeing it now, where event after event this year has just been dead. It's been empty. And the tail end of last year, we saw this as well. People who would usually be there supporting an event maybe bringing new people into the hobby just by their presence because they have a nice display or they have a nice way of talking to people are completely gone. And like I say, they found that once something was taken away that they thought they enjoyed, you know, they, they weren't too bothered and they decided not to go back to it. And I've seen whole groups disappear in the course of this that I really thought would either stay or maybe come back to it. The whole COVID experience for me was hell. I, I just wanted to be at events all the time. The last thing I did the very weekend before we went into the first lockdown in the UK was spend a weekend in a, in a trench. Um, that was the last thing that I did before before lockdown started. And lockdown was awful. It was just pure hell. I, every single weekend, I was just waiting for the notification that the lockdown was over and we could go and um, run about in the woods for a weekend again. But that didn't come for a long time. But for other people, it seems to be in the case that they could just sit and chill out and not really bother about it too much. And coming back to it hasn't clicked for them. Um, in addition to that, I think it, it just seems like um, the groups which are going, they, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but they just, the groups that are going, at least around where I live, they have that public focus uh, and they have a particular ethos, some of these groups that are going. And I think it maybe puts other people off. Um, I know from personal experience, some of the groups that I'm thinking of, they don't have the best of relations with everybody. They're quite... Um, factionalizing, if that's the right word. And I think that has bigger implications, for certainly for the smaller associations that I'm talking about, that people realize. Um, and that's that's just where I find it. So it's a combination of factors. I think COVID being the most significant of all of them. I don't know how other people are seeing that in other countries at all. Uh, but in the UK, apart from the big events and the events which have really strong groups supporting them, I think it, it does feel like it's entering a sort of um, terminal state. I relate to what you're saying a lot. I remember really struggling during pandemic to maintain my reenacting hobby to try to get people to come out and do stuff, even if it was just a small number of people on a small scale, but just again and again, having people, people coming down with COVID, people got exposed to COVID, they don't want to go to the event because their wife or girlfriend is afraid that they'll get exposed to COVID if they go to the event. And it just it was so difficult and so much work, you know, and um, that that disheartening feeling when COVID cases would start picking up again and places going back into lockdown. It was uh, just a terrible ride, really. It, it, it was. I, I found with my group that it was the case that we were all ready to get back into it and eager to continue. And we spent the whole time building our impressions and working on them. Um, but for other people, they weren't bothered at all. And that kind of set off alarm bells and we had some private events with my group and there were a couple of other outside groups that were interested in joining in um, but nothing ever came of that and 
I think it's just it's led us to this situation where the hobby isn't what it was. Certain things have such momentum that they can just keep themselves going. But it feels like a changed landscape. And as as much as we do tend to look at public events in a certain sort of way, I think they do have one element of um, benefit in the recruitment side of things uh, to some extent. Um, not for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. Not a uniform sort of approach. But I have seen it over the years uh, certainly work. And there are groups I know which are recruiting quite well off, off of that basis. And if those events aren't there anymore, I, I wonder where that leaves us. Sure. Um, I'm, you know, I'm glad to hear that this event that you did recently was such a success. How many reenactors would you estimate were at this thing in total? There were hundreds of reenactors um, from different periods. I would say mostly Second World War, but a lot of Cold War. Cold War seems to be really popular all of a sudden. Um, I'm not sure where that came from, but Cold War seems to be a really big thing at the moment. Uh, and there were reenactors from some very niche periods, but mainly, I think, Second World War. But there were hundreds of reenactors, vis-a-vis uh, thousands of members of the public. That sounds great. It's interesting to hear you describe a public event that's kind of World War II and later. Most of the timeline events that I do are World War II and earlier, of course, here where I live. Um, Revolutionary War reenacting is very popular because it has a local connection to where I live. And then uh, Civil War reenacting in the United States is just huge. So you'll almost always see those guys at any kind of event that allows a different time periods, but not very much usually for post-war, uh, post-World War II reenacting. You know, there might be a few people doing Korean War and um, maybe a very small number of people doing other uh, post-World War II impressions, but um I guess more lately than usual, perhaps, but traditionally it's just been like uh, history kind of ending with World War II. Yeah, I, I, I exactly agree. Almost all of the timeline uh, or multi-period events, as we call them here, uh, events that I've attended have been exactly like that. You've got Romans and then straight up to the Second World War, and that's it. History ends there. But this event was very much uh, not oriented that way, and it was, it seemed to be, Second World War until, um, I don't know, the 1990s till the early 2000s. And that was the way it was oriented, which in many respects I quite like. Some of the kit that was on display, some of the units that were on display, really interesting. Others, not to my taste, but that's subjective. Um, I'm sure for many of those people, Germans were not to their taste either. But an interesting approach to it. And I think that's really the point of the event. There was a combination of those uh, Second World War and modern displays and then also a lot of military vehicles running which were from uh, second world war onwards so there were you know um i think there was a t-55 driving about the arena as well as uh, a conqueror uh, engineering vehicle of some kind and then also the, the usual sort of sherman chaffee stewart that sort of thing as well so it was a it was a good mix and i think it, it fit quite well in that sense but it was interesting to see uh, unusual in comparison to to most of the other multi-period events i've done i've got to ask uh was there like a beer tent at this event was this one of those kinds of events there was there was a beer tent there the beer tent is the um reenactors church it is the there has to be a beer tent i think to bring them they can sense it from miles away they won't turn up otherwise 
and there was it was an all right beer tent the uh, karaoke was interesting again not to my taste but uh it was <laughs> sounds incredible it was um it was good fun it was good fun i i've got to admit i was not in the best way i had some sort of bangalore belly so i wasn't a hundred percent for the, the saturday and the sunday uh, but it was still a good time we there's actually a clip that's gone viral i think of us on the um i don't know how you call them in america maybe bumper cars is probably the closest you know like uh fun fair rides bumper cars yeah uh, we call them dodgems and everybody decided to go on the the bumper cars and there's this clip that's going around that somebody's recorded or of two of the guys in my group um getting into the bumper car and sitting in it and, and getting ready to go. And you can just see the glint of the SA Sports badge. And it just, it has, it cracks me up so much. It is public events in a nutshell for me, to be honest, because of the way that I look at them and, and see them. And it's just the funniest thing. But people listening, if they have TikTok, all these sort of apps, they've probably seen it already because I know it's gone, it's gone all over the place. Incredible. Um, do you think that you'll do the event again next year? If if I'm if I have the opportunity, I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, it is, it's just good fun. It's just good fun. I mean, my ultimate interest and the reason this event was so good for me was the scale, was the uh, sort of hive mind of the people involved. If that could be moved to private events with that number of people and maybe reflected with a, an opposition that was of the same sort of scale, uh, that for me would be. A, a thousand times better but to have that experience at a public event that's a fair trade-off i really enjoyed it I, i'd love to see uh that again and i'd love to you know attend a, that event again and i'm hoping at, a, an, at the event that i'll be attending uh military odyssey it's similar sort of er, area uh, in the south well i say similar area it's in the south that's about the only similarity i suppose but um similar sort of scale i think will be the numbers of people there similar mindset similar focus which i'm really looking forward to but again to move it towards the sort of private the immersive that's that's more to my taste more to my interest what about that monday morning at work how did you survive uh a day of work on the three hours of sleep after uh being you know basically sleeping i guess in a tent for the previous several nights well i slept i I used to sleep terribly at events and especially in the Zelt on the floor or in a trench on the floor or in a dugout. I, I didn't used to be able to get sleep when I first started doing it, but I think gradually I've become accustomed to it. And especially um, you'd actually posted a video about it. Uh, this chap that was explaining ways to make yourself more comfortable uh, sleeping on the floor. And I, I, that was really useful. And I know other people have benefited from that as well, just from speaking to them. But I think any idiot can be uncomfortable and you gradually learn different techniques, different ways of making yourself more comfortable. It certainly helped that it wasn't very cold on the night time. Um, so I slept quite well while I was at the event without any issues, but that three and a half hours, whatever sleep and then straight into work. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the video where um, it's captioned what it's like to exist on one hour sleep and it's got sort of shadow people walking around. Uh, in this person's peripheral vision. But that was very much my Monday morning. And it was only um, pulled back by doing essentially zero work, uh, apart from the bare minimum, which I could I could handle. But it all turned out all right at the end. Yeah, it it's just, it was it's one of those events where you can't really describe it. You sort of have to be there because it just felt so much like you were actually in Normandy. 
I think that female reenacting is still sort of in its embryonic stage, but I do think that there is room to grow. We do have so much camaraderie in this uh, this hobby of ours, this reenacting. Then I think it's important for us to realize that because we're here to support each other. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. Ludwig, we're just about out of time. Thanks so much for telling me about this event. I've really enjoyed hearing about it. it. Sounds like it was a really good time. Thanks for having me. I am going to be going on vacation pretty soon. So for the next regular episode, it's actually going to be hosted by Ben Tracy, and he is going to have a great guest that uh, I'm sure you guys will enjoy hearing from. It's Zach Williams. He's going to share his perspective on the Soviet side uh, from the recent Kursk event, as well as talk a little bit about his ideas about academic research and reenacting. Um, I'm sure it'll be a great episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, so to uh, all the Patreon supporters, thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it, and we couldn't do this without you. And to Ludwig and everybody out there, I will see you in the field. See you in the field. We love hearing what you think about the podcast, so why not reach out to us on Facebook or Discord? Just search for The Reenactors Corner, and you'll find us there. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Your generous contributions, no matter how big or small, really do keep us on the air. And you'll also get regular additional exclusive episodes as a thank you. You can find details of where to find us on Patreon in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time here on The Reenactors Corner.